0: is good to see some of your faces. I don't see all of you. Um, I, I hope you heard my prayer and you can hear me now. Can someone give me a thumbs up who has their camera on? Okay, good, Chris, thank you, Chris Erickson. Okay, let me let me share my screen with you. Um, don't know, there's a few less people on today, but not that many. Uh, Memorial Day weekend, that's not what I wanna share. Sorry, this is so bad. (laughs) Okay, hopefully this is right. Okay, Gospel of Mark. So we're continuing in the Gospel of Mark. Hope you've had a good weekend and uh, are enjoying some time as uh, you are able to maybe, uh, with less restrictions, you're able to see more people. Hope that's been a blessing to you. And I hope you're staying safe and loving one another really well. We're back in Mark chapter six this morning. Um, this is just want to remind you that this is the Gospel of Mark. This is we've subtitled the story of the suffering King. So as as we go through, and we've seen it a little bit, but we're going to see it more and more that this is actually a story of of not only someone who's bringing the kingdom and is the King, but the way he's bringing the kingdom is through suffering, is through even rejection, and so. Um, our sermon this morning is mark six one through six on the rejected Jesus. It may have been surprised as Christina read that um uh the the way he 's been treated once again by people in his own hometown that he has been uh, rejected has been sort of mocked and and um you know um, in a real way been pushed away. From the people that should have received him he he is the one who is coming but is suffering. you know in the <clears throat> there was a <clears throat> pastor and theologian named Helmut Feckel, <clears throat> excuse me um, in Germany during the Third Reich in hitler 's reign, and one uh, author was able to ask him about what he thought was the worst evil in Third Reich Germany during his time under what he saw as massive oppression and and massive devastation and death. What do you think Helmut is the worst evil in Third Reich Germany? He responded, the unredeemed human heart. Behind all the evil of Hitler, Behind all the evil of the Third Reich and uh, an educated society and a, a scientific society that could bring so much death and pain, what this pastor theologian said was the worst evil was the unredeemed human heart. Behind all the evil of Hitler and Pol Pot and Stalin, behind all the evil in the world is unbelief. Friends, our hearts are evil. We come into this world born sinners. We come into this world at enmity with God. We're enemies of him. Our hearts are, some theologians call it, totally depraved. There's total depravity among us. It's not that we're as bad as we could be. It's not as, that we're as bad uh, as other people. But it's, total depravity tells us that. Our evil extends into the very depths of our being and touches on everything. Our unredeemed hearts, our hearts are totally depraved and full of sin. And in this text, Mark 6, 1 through 6, we see that the sin and evil of the human heart come out. You might not expect it, or you might maybe you read it, and you you don't see that exactly, but what is happening here is that Jesus is rejected by people that should have received him, people he lived among for around you know thirty years. Jesus uh, is rejected and unless we think. Other people's hearts are more evil than ours. The word that God has for us today is that the rejected Jesus expects true faith in the face of our doubts. He expects true faith in the face of our doubts. In spite of our doubts, the rejected Jesus, who will be the risen Jesus, expects true faith. And we're going to see that through three points this morning no faith, no honor in no work. No faith, no honor, no work. And Jesus is Mark is is telling us uh a new there's a new episode in Jesus's life as we as we start to see it in Mark chapter 6 verses 1 and 2. Uh there's a new there's a new setting. Jesus uh Mark tells us he goes away from there presumably this is where he has healed the young girl, brought her back to life. He goes away from there. Scholars say he's, he's coming away from Capernaum and he's coming back home. He's coming to his hometown. He's coming, he's coming back to where he grew up, where people knew him. They knew him well. Um he he would not have traveled very far as it, no one would have traveled very far during that time. Jesus probably would have traveled far, further than most people especially from a hometown like this. And he's coming home and, you know, you know what it would like to be come home, to come home to people that have known you all of your life. Um, You know, they knew how you were as a youngster, as a middle schooler. They knew that you were awkward. They knew that, you know, oh, I got to go see that girl I had a crush on. Uh, But now Jesus, Jesus is actually coming home. And he's coming home as, as one who, you know, never sinned. Not once. He was the He was the perfect man uh he he came home um, to to a people that should have realized this is really odd you know Jesus doesn't seem to do the things or act out in the way uh, that i do jesus was he was perfectly ordinary though he would he was just like the people he grew up with he was just like his family members he got hungry he slept he you know uh he he did all of the things that young children do he was perfectly ordinary but he was perfect and jesus never sinned in thought word or deed and because he was perfect and ordinary I, i know it's it's hard to like put those two things together but because he was just like those you know his family in terms of he was a true human we shouldn't think of Jesus as a Superman or someone who was, you know, he was, he was divine, but he was, he was covering up with, uh, uh, with a disguise. No, Jesus was actually a man. And he actually had people sin against him, and he never sinned back. He was perfect, but he was ordinary. And so there was confusion. And, you know, I, I think we would be confused as well. There was confusion about this because how can someone be just like me in so many ways and yet perfect in all these other ways? Something's not right. Something, something doesn't compute because it's not what I experience. I know I'm ordinary, but I'm definitely not perfect. I sin and thought word and deed. And, and who is this guy that never does it? And here's this perfectly ordinary man coming home. And as he comes home, he he actually has an entourage with him. He has a he has followers. He has his disciples. The text tells us, and his disciples followed him. This is important for for us to know. You know, back in chapter three, Jesus is rejected by the religious people. He heals someone on the Sabbath day, um, and because of what he's talking about in terms of changing religion, the 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 scribes and Pharisees they they are in cohorts with the Herodians and they want to kill Jesus and so they reject him and Jesus leaves the sabbath and he leaves he leaves the synagogue and he goes out and you remember the very next the very next paragraph is is Jesus appointing his disciples and Jesus uh, and, and this follows that, very, that same pattern. We'll see next week that Jesus is about to send his disciples out. He's rejected here. he will send his disciples out. But Jesus actually has disciples. He appoints them in chapter 3, verse 6. And they're following him around in this, in this intermediate time, and, and they're being apprentices. This is what, this is what the disciples do. This is what actually rabbis do. They have people follow them around. But the question in the people's mind in his hometown was, who was Jesus' rabbi? It's part of, the, it's part of the, the religious education, if you will. You know, most denominations now expect an MDiv from somebody in order to be a pastor because of the work pastors do. They should have the, a commensurate education to go along with it. And who is this Jesus? We don't know. He has, now he has a following, but who has he followed? Where did he go to school? And Luke tells us the content of his teaching as he goes into the, on the Sabbath day, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the presumption is that he was invited to teach because that's how it went. You remember J- Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, someone like him would have invited Jesus. They probably had heard about his miracles. They probably had heard about his fame. And they said, he's, he's here. Why doesn't, he, why doesn't he give a word? And the content of that teaching, Luke tells us, is is Jesus reads from the scroll of Isaiah and uh, and rolls it up and says, Today, in your hearing, this has been fulfilled. Jesus, this is not what rabbis do. Rabbis depend on the authority of other people. It depends on, uh, you know, it's, it's like, a, it's like a, a constant footnote. This, you know, this rabbi said this, and this rabbi said that, and, the, and this and that. And there's nuance, and Jesus is saying, this is all about me. You can read Isaiah, you know, read any part of the Isaiah scroll, and he's saying, look, this is ultimately about me. And it's fulfilled in your ears, in your scene. Here I am. I'm more than a rabbi. I have authority in myself. Jesus needed no rabbi. Jesus was God. What did their unbelieving hearts do? Well, they doubted that this is true. They, they doubted that Jesus was actually who he says he was. They doubted this authority that he came with. Who You remember them saying, like, who is this man with such authority, speaks with such authority? And they doubt him. And Jesus, full of authority, comes into The proximity of a depraved heart. And what happens? Well, this story tells us. They have lots of emotions, but no faith. They have lots of emotions, but no faith. We move on in the story. And uh, Jesus said, uh, Mark tells us that many who who had heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is not this this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brothers of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. The the religious people who were there hearing him, the crowd, they. they actually have a lot of emotion about Jesus. You notice in the words that they that Mark Mark describes as as uh, the people respond to him. He says they they were astonished, they were astonished by him. And then further down it says they took offense at him. There's lots of lots of emotiveness going on here. They're they're astonished at what what Jesus does and. And, and how he, he speaks, how he has this authority in himself. They're, they're really, they're surprised, right? They're, they're, uh, they're, they're surprised and in disbelief. This is a word of disbelief. And the reasons they're astonished, uh, you know, be, because they're astonished with questions about him. You know, the, the the first thing is, uh, questions of his origin. What, where does Jesus get this wisdom and power? Uh, where does he get these things? And they go, how does he, how does he display his might? And, and what is the wisdom given to him? They're astonished because to them, Jesus had human origins. But what was happening through him in his words and in his, in his power, in his healing, was supernatural. So no one can have this kind of wisdom and power in themselves. Right? But one can, if he's God and man. So they're astonished at him. They just—they're in disbelief. They don't this—this this word like astonishment and, and marvel and you know a lot of a lot of times Mark will will give us these uh these these responses to Jesus these responses of emotion. Uh, we're not meant to think that that's necessarily faith. That is not faith, friend. If if you're as you're listening and you think because you cry in worship or, or because sometimes your heart is stirred towards God, that you are you that makes you a Christian that your emotions do not make you a Christian. They, they do not represent faith. Now, they, they can be signs that something is going on, but not necessarily. And so the other way, it goes the other way, too. If, if, you, if you're always looking for an emotional high or you're wondering what is wrong with you emotionally, why don't you cry during worship like other people or raise your hands in worship? Why aren't you stirred in your affections? You shouldn't doubt that you necessarily have faith either. Because people can be astonished at Jesus. They can marvel at him. They can wonder at him. And at the end, he will say, I never knew you. You did many wonderful things in my name, but I never knew you. Why? Because you did not have faith. You did not have a relationship with me. They're astonished at him. And where, as it goes on, uh, you know, at the end, it says they took offense at him. They were offended by him. They were just astonished. Okay, that could be faith or or unbelief. But now it, it becomes more clear what that astonishment was. It was unbelief. Because now they take offense at him. And the reason they take offense at him is because they know who he is. They know his family. There's no way mighty things can be done through a person who is the son of Mary. Now, who is a carpenter, who's a man who works with his hands. A carpenter in that time, working with your hands in that time, wasn't, a, it, wasn't a, it wasn't menial labor. It was, it was just the fact that this is what he, he would have done for a living because his father was a carpenter. His father, adopted father, Joseph, was a carpenter. He would have taught his oldest son his trade. And, and, and Jesus normally would have carried on that work, especially as the oldest son. And they're saying, it's not just the carpenter. He's the one who was raised by Joseph. He's the son of Mary. Now, mo- most of the time, uh, people are identified by their father in 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 the new testament he's the you know he's james and john they're the sons of uh, of this man i can't remember his name right now also i can think of sons of thunder um uh, you know or or simon the son of this but you know uh these people are saying we know this man he's the son of mary so either there's a couple options here either they were they were deriding jesus and, and saying he was an illegitimate child, that's a possibility. I don't think it's likely, though, but it's a possibility. The other thing could be that that they, that jo- this is just saying, telling us that there, there is no Joseph around anymore, that he's dead. That, that he's the son of Mary. If Mary's here, we know Mary, uh, and Joseph is dead. That's why he's called, also called the carpenter, because he, he would have been taking on the, the father's business. And so they know him. They know him. We we know his family. He comes from bro- his brothers, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And his sisters are there with him. They're probably married. That's why they're not mentioned by name. We we know this guy. We know his family. He's just, he's ordinary. And he's never studied with the rabbi. So they took offense at him. And the word offense is, they're offended by him. The, the word offense is scandalized. He He became a scandal a scandal on a stumbling block to them a stumbling block a, a scandal this was jesus was scandalizing people everywhere he went but it's them who are making him the stumbling block you know um paul told us about this in 1st 1 corinthians 123 he, he says For Jews demand a sign, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. He's a stumbling block to Jews and a folly to Gentiles. He's a stumbling. He's a scandal. He's a a stumbling stone for them. And why is he a stumbling stone? He's, He's a scandal because of the depraved human heart. Here is Jesus bringing all kinds of grace at people. He didn't have to show up here but he does and here he is full of full of life the 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 son of god and the son of man in their presence perfect god perfect man in their presence and they are scandalized by him because they don't believe you know this word is mark uses this word um throughout mark in mark 4:17 in the parable of the sower Uh, He he uses it this way. And they, that is one of the grounds, have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, that's the the gospel sown in the soil of their hearts, immediately they fall away. Immediately they are scandalized. The word becomes a scandal to them. There's unbelief there. And it's just it's it's tribulation and persecution are rooting that out. And they're just they're scandalized by Jesus. He uses it several times in Mark nine. Verse verse forty two. It says, "Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, that is uh, to to." To be scandalized will, will be better for him if he's had a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This is—it's scandal, causing people to sin, to, to un- unbelief. He he uses it also in in uh, in verse uh, forty-seven, in chapter nine, verse forty-seven. He said, "If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom with one eye than that." Two eyes to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, if it's a stumbling block to you, throw it out. Your eye is causing you to sin. And now now these people are scandalized by Jesus. Jesus isn't making them sin. They're, They're making him a stumbling block for themselves. It is complete and total unbelief, depravity of the heart that shows up as they're offended. They're scandalized by Jesus. Why? It's because he's ordinary. He's authoritative. He's uncomfortable to be around. He's pushing in to them. And he's showing them that their religion, the thing that they they have made for themselves to to help themselves feel better and to think that they're going to get into heaven by obeying these sort of rules and making these sacrifices. He's he's making them uncomfortable because he's saying away with those. It's me. Jesus Christ is is the one who you're supposed to look to and believe in, not your works. He didn't follow the rules. And so they're scandalized by him. They have no faith. They're offended at his his person. They're offended at the authority that he brings to say um, that he has come to forgive sins. And, And you'll notice Jesus' response. In verse 6, that it is, he marveled because of their unbelief. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Sorry, I don't have that there for you. But in, in verse 6, he, uh, Jesus' response back to them is a marveling. This unbelief, this astonishment and scandal in the heart of unbelievers made the Son of God shake his head. He is marveling at this. This, this points to uh, Jesus' uh, humanity. It also points to the, the depravity of one's heart, that, that God would, could show up in the flesh as perfect as he was, never sinning, doing miracles, having authority in himself. He could show up and people would not believe. If you're a teenager and you have grown up in the church, this is a danger for you. You can become so familiar with Jesus. And it never takes it. it, It's never mixed with faith that you could see the son of God through the pages of scripture and through sermons and through songs and through Bible stories. And you don't believe Jesus is offering himself to you. Won't you believe in me? Isn't it a kindness of God that he would put you in a Christian home, in a Christian, you know, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a nation that allows us to worship as we do. But if you have no belief, Jesus will marvel at that kind of lack of faith. It's a, it's a marvel. It's it's something to shake our heads at, that that we could see the Son of God and Son of Man and not believe Him. But there's still time. You know, it's interesting that that Mark names Jesus' brothers, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon. And, and Joseph and, and Simon, we don't um, really hear about again, but James and Judas, church history says that most likely those are the men who, who wrote the books of, of James and Jude. They were leaders in the church. In fact, James is known as James the Just, he and was, he, was, he was killed for his faith in Jesus. You know, at one time in... in um, in Mark, his brothers and sisters and his own mother think he's out of his mind, so they come to take him. They're not believing in him. And even now, it doesn't, it doesn't say that they're one of his disciples or believe, but at some point in history, it wasn't too late. Their unbelief uh, uh, turned to faith because the Spirit moved in them. And their depraved hearts, they were, they, were, they were awakened to the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit gave them faith. And, and they believed and they became even authors of the New Testament and, and leaders in the church. There might be unbelief now, friend, for that person that you're praying for to come to faith. There may be unbelief now, but you don't know what Jesus can do. He may awaken faith yet. But the question for you, friend, today, is do you believe? You have heard about the Son of God, the Word made flesh and dwelt among us. You you have heard about Him going to the cross. You've heard about Him taking your sins. Do you believe? He wants you to believe. He, He tells you how you should respond in faith and repentance. Let, O oh Christ, no faith be turned into faith. And as we move along in the story, we see Jesus Jesus responds to this lack of faith. And Jesus said to them, those people that were astonished by him and offended by him, He says, "A prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Jesus responds to these people Mm. in, in a proverb of their own day. They would have known this Greek proverb, and Jesus turns it around and applies it to these three sort of concentric circles in his life. He says he, a prophet, and he's referring to himself, does not have honor. The, the sort of respect that he should in his own hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own household. And they get closer and closer as he describes them. And, and these relationships are, are, what, uh, are what Jesus experienced as he comes home. But it's true of the Old Testament prophets as well. Have you ever read through the prophets in the Old Testament? Uh, both the major prophets, you know, those, those bigger books and also the minor prophets, the, the smaller books in the Old Testament. If you, if you have read through them, you know that m- many of the prophets were either sawn into, they, they were oppressed, they were, they were persecuted. And Jesus is he's saying he's right in line with those prophets. This is, this is so true of how God's people have treated God's ministers of the word, that they do not honor them. And Jesus is saying this is happening to him. And, and, and just again to, 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 to tell us again that why this is happening. It's because they're, of their familiarity. You know the saying of familiarity breeds contempt? They're familiar with him. Imagine that. Familiar with the very God among us. God made flesh, perfect in every way. Familiar with him makes us contemptible. How do we explain that? How do you explain that the Bible calls you an enemy of God as soon as you take a breath in this world? David tells us that we are formed in iniquity and in sin our, our mothers conceived us. It was, they were familiar with him, but familiarity mixed with a a filthy, a sinful heart breeds contempt. It was also that Jesus was ordinary. Just, just reminder that he was truly man. You wouldn't have looked at him in his day-to-day life and thought, he's, he's special. You know, this is the this is the lie of sort of the prosperity gospel and, um, and, and the American dream that tells us it's the, it's the, it's the smartest, best-looking, uh, most articulate, best-educated people that, that God uses. Actually, he uses ordinary people mostly. Extraordinary people wouldn't be extraordinary without ordinary people. And that's who God chooses to use most in most cases. And Jesus wouldn't have been looked on as anyone spectacular. In fact, Isaiah tells us that just looking on him, he was, there was, there was no beauty in him. That we should desire him. there was, there was nothing great about him as a man. He was just, he was a regular man, but he was God in the flesh. He was familiar, and he was ordinary, and those things mixed with the depraved human heart. When they meet God, they reject Him. You and I have done that as well. Very few of us, when we have come into contact with the gospel, responded right away with our hearts bowed. Most of us rejected God. All of us rejected the the revelation of him in nature and, and in the law in our own hearts. And, and as he's come to us and told us to repent and believe, our hearts would, would push that away. But Jesus is coming again and again. He doesn't reject his hometown. He comes to them and he offers himself. And they push him out. Because it, their hearts were depraved. They found the authority within him to be despised. Who who has authority in themselves but God alone? And you know, rejected God. You know, friends, this anticipates the the ultimate rejection of Jesus Christ. He he is rejected in his hometown, but that's that's sort of one of the one of the the, just the first rejections it's sort of the beginning of it and as he goes on he's going he's going to tell his disciples in a few chapters in eight nine and ten that the messiah the son of god must be rejected and handed over to the gentiles and he must die a death on a cross and he will raise again he will be rejected This is a suffering king. He is a king, but he's a suffering king. The way he brings his kingdom is through death on a cross. And this is just anticipating that day. And friend, I I just, brother and sister, if you're giving the gospel and you've been rejected time and time and time again, I just want you to know that they did the same thing to Jesus. They rejected his offers as well. You can love people, and it's not necessarily about your presentation. We should always work on being loving and kind, but no human, depraved human heart wants to hear that they must be saved from their own sin and the wrath of God to come. We will be rejected and despised because that's what our Savior was. We follow a crucified Savior, Jesus the Christ. His whole life experienced humiliation. Do you realize that? When Jesus came and set aside the wonders of glory to come to earth, it was humiliating. He didn't come and it was it was it wasn't to him, oh, this is so wonderful. Look at all these things I never got to experience before. No, what he what he experienced was was the curse on this earth not how he created it to be. Here's what Louis Louis Burkhoff in his Systematic Theology talks about states of humiliation, and this is one of them. I'll read it for you. His, His suffering resulted from various causes. In the last analysis, all the sufferings of Christ resulted from the fact that he took the place of sinners vicariously. But we may distinguish several Causes, such as the fact that he who was the Lord of the universe had to occupy a menial position, even the position of a bondservant or a slave, and that he who had inherited an inherent right to command was in duty bound to obey. Two. The fact that he who was pure and holy had to live in a sinful, polluted atmosphere in daily association with sinners and was constantly reminded of the greatness of the guilt with which he was burdened by the sins of his contemporaries. Three, his perfect awareness and clear anticipation from the very beginning of his life of the extreme suffering that would, as it were, overwhelm him in the end. He knew exactly what was coming, and the outlook was far from cheerful. And for finally, also the privations of life. And this is what we're talking about in, in, in this text this morning. The temptations of the devil and the hatred and rejection of the people and the maltreatment and persecutions to which he was subjected. Jesus Christ lived in a state of humiliation all of his life until the cross. where the greatest humiliation, he bore our sins and carried our sorrows. And it says in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes we are healed. He describes him this way. He was, uh, he was despised and rejected by men, apparently even from his own hometown his own family members, at one time rejected him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was despised and rejected by us loved ones. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we, we looked at him and despised him. We did not esteem him as anyone to be a friend of ours, but we humiliated him. And he did all of this willingly for us. Friends, if you've never trusted in Christ, this the one Isaiah talks about the suffering servant is this Jesus who was rejected by his people, was rejected by God for you. He bore the curse of sin. That was his rejection. He bore it on himself. And, and the fact that is that he did not stay dead. He died on a cross for our sins in our place, despised and rejected. He died for us, but he he went into the grave and he he proved that his sacrifice was accepted by God. No longer rejected, no longer despised, no, no longer dishonored. He rose in triumph over the grave and ascended to the right hand of the Father, and lives forevermore. He is ruling now until all things are put under his feet. He See, his state of humiliation did turn into a state of honor, and one day he will receive full honor for the reward of his suffering. He had no honor then, but as he goes to the cross and triumphs over death, in the cross, the cross becomes his throne and he receives honor. And as those who formally rejected him, formally persecuted those that he loved, they come in now and they they sing the triumphs of the cross. Jesus, the Christ, the King, the suffering King. He will save you too. That there's no, like I said before, there's there's no final unbelief until you're dead and gone. The the rejection of the people in his hometown, of his own own family members, it wasn't the last word. The last word was was Jesus would conquer through love, through death on the cross in place of of James and Judas, in the place of you. And as they repented, so can you. You can turn to Christ and be saved. He did it in your place. And he no, he no longer suffers dishonor among his people. And he will one day finally be honored as he reigns in sight. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. There was no faith and no honor. And that resulted in no no work. Unfortunately for Nazareth, Uh, uh, Jesus decided to move on. Almighty works there. Verse verse five tells us, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And this inability um, shows us Jesus humanity on the one hand, and that. Even in his human nature, he wasn't able to influence his family or his hometown in one way. But in another way, it shows us his sovereignty. On another hand, it shows us how he was sovereign. Because omnipotence cannot be limited. Jesus, if he's fully God, he can do whatever he wants. He does whatever he chooses. Our Lord is in the heavens. He does whatever he chooses. And Jesus... This is exactly what I think we're supposed to learn is that he chooses to work through faith and not unbelief. This is Jesus's choice to move on from here, to go to the next village and do his teaching. There's, there's no work except he was able to heal a few sick people and then move on. He, he touched them. He laid his hands on them and he healed them. Now that, Really is my one of the guys in the application group pointed out that, that I'm surprised that that's not considered a a, a a a mighty work. But because of their unbelief, Jesus wasn't able to do more. He chose not to do more because they were unbelieving. Friend, the the gospel, the the encounter with the gospel. Um. In Jesus Christ, just an encounter with him doesn't necessarily save someone. It can inoculate people against their faith, against faith. The only way that, uh, you know, most of us have either said or heard someone say, if I, could just, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just see God, if he would do a sign for me, then I would believe. It's just, it's not true. It's not true, because the very God of gods was before these people. He even healed people, and they would not believe. They wouldn't believe him. There's an unbelief there. And God is hes trying to call out your faith. Oh, the goodness of God. He's he's calling you to to believe in him. As we see this portrait of Jesus, this this perfect one, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who's, who's bringing kingdom through love through suffering he's bringing this kingdom to his people he's bringing he's bringing his rule and reign won't you believe friend if you're a part of our church i would just say behold this one in the gospels just meditate on him take take some time to meditate on him this day this sunday and see how beautiful he is. And how believable he is. Remember to, to, to bow our hearts towards him in faith. And, and to believe this gospel that he has given us. Remember, re- remember not, to, not, not to think that we're going to have more honor than Jesus in this life. Don't. Don't be afraid. Don't don't be a coward in presenting Jesus just because you'll be dishonored. It's the way of the master. Be kind. Be loving. Don't be a jerk. But you will be dishonored in this life. And remember that that honor will not last forever. Just as Jesus was raised, so we too will be raised to newness of life. And friend, if you have never put your trust in Jesus. I would love to talk to you, any of the elders or or members of our church, I'd love to talk to you about this. Find a good Christian friend to ask the questions that you have. If you have doubts, if you have no faith, and you've experienced that Jesus has not done a work in your life, uh, there's still time. Turn to him and be saved. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time together. We pray that your word would have its way in our hearts. We pray that you would honor yourself in the word reverberating among us, uh, that your word, we would, we would talk about it with each other, with our friends, our neighbors, our family. We pray that this would have an effect on us as a church, that you would renew us and revive us again, to bring you the honor that you deserve. Create more faith in us, which will result in, in more prayers which will result in in more expressions of the gospel truth to our friends and loved ones. Please do this, I pray, for your own glory's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.